The following is a recording of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information, visit gpts.edu. Uh, join me at John chapter 6. Let me say as you're turning there how grateful I am for the opportunity to come and to uh, minister before you. It's always a pleasure. Um, as Dr. Dyer said, I pastor at Mount Calvary, and we've had the privilege of having three um, GPTS uh, interns over the years, and uh, we're very grateful for that, very grateful for the seminary, and you're in our prayers um, as well. I want to read the first 15 verses of John chapter 6, remembering that this is the word of the Lord. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now, the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. And then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. And now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to them, to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. And therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. And then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Thus ends the reading of God's word, and may he be pleased to add his blessing to it. Please be seated. As we come to this passage of scripture, we're reminded of a tremendous moment in the life of our Savior. And I think sometimes we, we, we play it down in our own hearts. We, we tend to think that uh, of course he fed the 5,000. This is the Lord and it's 5,000 people. And of course he did it. And we minimize exactly what he's done, but he's done something that is absolutely amazing. That is to be a sign, a symbol of something, a symbol of the fact that he is in complete control, that he is um, very God of very God and has the ability to do things that are far, far beyond the ability of all men, far uh, beyond the ability of all of us put together, something that's impossible. He's able to do that. Well, these people are following him because they saw the signs is what verse two says. They followed and they kept following. They were passionate about their following him. 
because they saw the sign. Now, the text begins and it tells us that the Passover was near. And so we're reminded of the fact that this is probably a year after the events of John chapter 2, where the Lord Jesus cleanses the temple. So we get some sort of time indication uh, in the Lord's life and and what time of year um, as well. So he's ministering in this region of the Sea of Galilee, and these are our Galileans. And to, to think about who these people were, we're reminded of the fact that they would have been people who would have been bound very closely to the land. They would not have been wealthy people. Their great concerns would have been where the next meal is coming from, how to feed themselves. And so to do a miracle like the feeding of the 5,000 from five loaves and two fishes would have been particularly poignant to those who had struggled so in feeding themselves. Now, if we were to look at Mark's account, and by the way, all four gospels include uh, the feeding of the 5,000. In Mark's account, he makes clear that coming to this mountain, that the disciples are trying to find a moment's rest, to try to find a a break in the action. The other gospel accounts tell us that they had been ministering all day. They had been healing all uh, day and teaching, and you could imagine that they needed some downtime. It's interesting here in verse 3 that there's actually this reference to the mountain, and some commentators would tell us that Jesus went up to the mountain is perhaps an indication that this is a place that they came to often. But here are these people, and they need to be fed, and they're hungry. They're all hungry. And I want to answer the question today as to why, why would the Holy Spirit have this included in all four Gospels? It's clear why we, uh, how we're blessed and we benefit from this particular passage of Scripture and this snapshot from the Lord's life. But all four Gospels included, why is that? Well, let me give three reasons for this. First of all, it is to show us that we are a needy people, that we are needy people. Our neediness is glaring in this story. Um, here are five thousand people. If we turn to Matthew's account, he would tell us, he he words it this way, uh, that that there were 5,000 plus women and children. And so we've heard this before, and we have assumed that there were many more than 5,000. And couldn't we suspect that there are maybe 10,000 people that are there? I think that that's a fair supposition in uh, light of what we know from scripture. (laughs) But I want you to look at verse five for the moment, because it's here that Jesus lifts up his eyes and seeing a great multitude come towards him, that he says to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now, why Philip? Philip's from this general area. He's from Bethesda. And perhaps the Lord is thinking, well, you're sort of from this area. You know where we could buy this much bread and find this much provision. Uh, for the people. The Lord, of course, has much more in store for Philip in just a a few moments. Notice the response from him in verse 7. Philip answers and says, 200 denarii worth of bread uh, is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. In other words, if we work for eight months, and we were actually carrying eight months worth of money, we wouldn't be able to go out and buy enough except for people to have just a little. And he seems to communicate some incredulity as he 
replies to our Lord. But this has to be one of John's motives for, recover, uh, for recording this miracle, and that is to show the great need of these people. They're needy. They're hungry. There is a, 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 so many people, there's no way that they could be fed um, all at one time here in this particular setting. Now, again, I want to remind you, because we've read this passage so many times, and we know that the Lord fed all of these people, we tend to think, oh, yes, he fed the 5,000, and we move right on. But imagine 5,000 people. I I was thinking of some of the uh, graduation ceremonies that we have. We have a large high school in Spartanburg County, uh, Dorman High School, and they graduate about um, 800 kids um, every year. And they sit down on a football field and you're able to look down and see what 800 people sitting in a chair looks like. And it it just looks like a sea of people. But this is not 800 people. This is 5,000. This is 10,000 people. And you, you, you think about feeding them just the logistics. If you have the food there of distributing the food and getting it to everyone of, of, of having a place to put bread and fish for five or 10,000 people. It's an incredible work that the Lord does. And it's an incredible work because the needs are so great. But here's Philip, and you wonder if he is particularly good at certain things, if he's particularly good at figuring out what we need in this, this situation. And what did he do? Did, did they sit there on this mountainside and say, well, here are 200 people, and here's 100, and Here's maybe twice as much as over here and 200, 100. And, and ultimately, Adam, we don't know exactly how he calculated the number, but they came up with 5,000 in buying bread. What bakery in the world could supply that kind of need? But why does the Lord Jesus give us this situation? Why does he stop the presses and say, I'm going to feed 5,000 people? I think one of those reasons is, is he's reminding us of our great need, a great need as a people and as a great need as individuals um, as well. It also reminds us of the failure of human resources. Hey, Philip said, we we can't do this. If we had all this money, we couldn't do this. But think about this. Think about our needs. And, you know, you may be sitting here and saying, how, how do I pay my school bill? <laughs> how, how do I go to school full time and generate income and feed my family and meet all of those? needs? How do, how do I do that? Um, we're clearly we're facing physical struggles and these that we have lost in our seminary community, even as we prayed for them today, those needs in that realm. But there are other needs in our lives as well. You think about the emotional world and and how many of our people in our churches who are struggling with, um, now it's it's horrible to say, but the -the run-of-the-mill anxiety and depression, that seems so common. That's not run-of-the-mill. I realize that's a significant problem in people's lives. But people trying to control their anger, people trying to control their lust, They have needs. We have needs. You and I have needs as well. And those spiritual struggles as well. I had a conversation recently with a young person in our church, 
And this young person has gone off to college and they've begun to drink and they have begun to drink to drunkenness with some regularity. Um, and as his pastor, obviously I wanted to shepherd this person and we, we dealt with a lot of things. But, but one of the things that was driving him was how much fun this was. How much fun this was, the weekend and looking for those things. And my heart just dried up within me. And yet these are the, these are the battles that are being fought in, in your families, in your friends, in your churches as well. The great needs in our lives the seeking to please God, to figure out the will of God and to do that in order to please him. How do you do that? The needs that we have in our life. Not to mention uh, when it comes to salvation and our complete inability to save ourselves. Jesus gives us this snapshot from his life in order to remind us that we're needy people. Well, that leaves us to our second point as to why the Holy Spirit might include this in four of the God and all four of the gospels. The second point is this, is that while we are needy people, we have a need meeting savior. We have a need meeting savior. And this is so beautiful here. He shows himself, our Lord Jesus shows himself to be all sufficient, doesn't he? That he can meet our needs. Now you may be in a struggle right now and you may say, I'm just kind of wondering, okay, the, the one third of one half of my school bills do due on Friday. I have no idea how that's going to be met or other battles in your life. <clears throat> but rest assured, brothers and sister, rest assured that our God is an all sufficient God and he meets our needs. Now, we usually miss the magnitude of this because we're used to saying, well, yeah, Jesus fed the 5,000. And, and you think about this as well, we miss it because we often uh, think of our needs, particularly when it comes to food, and we just go to the store, and it's always there. Um, I had a situation this past week. In fact, my, some of my boys were home, and when they come home, they want to have a bonfire, and when they have a bonfire, that requires you eat s'mores, right? So we didn't have fixings for s'mores, so they called me. I was still at the church. They said, hey, uh, would you pick up stuff for s'mores. I said, I'd be glad to on my way home. So I got to the store and our food line was out of chocolate bars. What do you do? In fact, what happened was, is they were out of the, you know, you buy the, the Hershey's bar and the six pack cellophane wrapped kind of things. And so I had to, I was reduced to buying them one at a time in the checkout lane there. But, you know, we're just like discombobulated by the fact that we can't get to those things. Situations a little different in first century Galilee. You think about the uncertainty of harvest. You know, there's not center post irrigation and fertilization and herbicides and all that we have to guarantee a harvest. A harvest might come in then, and it might not as well. Um, I'm reminded of just a few times in my life of of starting a meal and not being able to be satiated by that meal. Um, <clears throat> from time to time, you get a call as a pastor in the middle of a meal, and it's like, okay, you got to run to the hospital. You got to run to someone's house. Something emergent has happened. 
And on those few occasions, I can remember getting up and thinking, okay, this process has started, but I'm not near full. And in 10 or 15 minutes, you just think, oh, I am really hungry. I am really desirous of being full, but, I, but I'm not. And I can't be for the next little while because of what I am engaged in. And yet these Galileans would have been intimately acquainted with not uh, of, of eating, but not to the full. In fact, in the first century world, eating and being full would have been an indication of great prosperity. That you had food and you were able to eat on a regular basis to being completely full. Uh, I, I think that several passages in scripture actually catch this um, idea of the the prosperity exemplified by uh, being able to eat and being full. Listen to Isaiah 53, 1 and 2. Uh, you've heard these so many times. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Likewise, in Psalm 22 and verse 26, the poor shall eat and be satisfied. Ah, that person is so very wealthy or that person who sits at the feet of the Lord Jesus, who is a need meeting savior. Um, I'm reminded by the phrase from Pascal. It's often attributed to him uh, where he, um, it's often said that he he speaks of a a God-shaped void. That's not what he said. He spoke of an infinite abyss. Um, Here's the quote, if you're not familiar with it. What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim, but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there uh, the help that he cannot find in those that are, though none can help since this infinite abyss can only be filled with an infinite and immutable object. And you know, so often in life, what we are doing is trying to fill an infinite abyss with all of the stuff of life. I think of my young friend that I was counseling in the course of this week and and the drinking and trying to fill an infinite void with this, these things from this world and the material things of this world. There's one more thing I want to point out in this need meeting savior before we move off of this second point. Something else I want us to see here. Wouldn't you say that the supply provided by the Lord Jesus far exceeds the needs of these people. That's exactly what the text says. 5,000, 10,000 people. But look at verse 11. It ends up here. Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down and likewise the fish as much as they wanted. 
they were completely satisfied. They were no longer hungry. And as well, when uh, the fragments were collected, 12 baskets full were collected. But my friends, I want to remind you that this is the nature of our God. He doesn't just barely meet needs. He blesses overwhelmingly. Let me give you some examples. Think about when Abraham was interceding for Sodom. Lord, for 50 righteous, for 40, for 30, for 20, for 10, would you spare them? And as long as Abraham asked, the Lord kept saying, yes, I will. And finally, Abraham stops. He finally stops asking or um, for Elisha and asking for oil uh, for the widow in 2 Kings chapter 4. God provided oil until there were no more vessels to fill. A need meeting savior for sure. A.W. Pink was commenting on this passage of scripture and he said, you know, we draw so little on the resources of Christ. We draw so little on the resources of Christ. We stop coming. We stop asking. And perhaps you have a need. Might be a material need. It might be an emotional need. Might be a spiritual need in your life. Have you brought it to the Lord? And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. You know, I think sometimes we have, we have subtle ways, even as those who are, who are in the word and in prayer, we have ways to keep sections of our life from actually bringing them to the Lord. We're actually running from the Lord in those little parts of our life. Are you doing that? Is there a great unhappiness in your life that you've compartmentalized, but you've not brought it to the Lord to find his his satiating grace, his all-sufficient provision for you? Are you battling temptation? And have you brought that before our all-sufficient Savior? Well, we are a needy people, and we do have a need-meeting Savior, but there's a third thing I want you to see from this passage of Scripture, and that is that through this sign, Jesus teaches us that we must face out in meeting needs. We must face out. You say, no, where do you see that in the scriptures? I want you to look back at verse five. Jesus lifts his eyes, sees the great multitude coming towards him, and he says to Philip, where shall we buy bread? Look at verse six. And this he said to test him. Now, surely with all of these people around, surely there were others who were there who were privy to this particular conversation. Maybe they were, maybe they were in a private conversation, but for sure we know that the Lord has pinpointed Philip. He, this is a test for him. And it makes me ask the question, I wonder what Philip was good at, at what, what was his specialty? Was he good at uh, logistics? Was he good at saying this we can't possibly do this. Let, let me count the people very quickly. Oh, 5,000 men and women and children. What do we have to feed them? Nothing. I mean, even if we had these eight months of wages, we would not be able to feed them. Can't do this. I wonder if he was good at that. Can't do this. 
And yet the Lord has picked him out in order to help him to be good at something else. And ultimately, coming to Jesus and trusting Jesus and understanding Jesus to be the one who, in fact, can do all his holy will and can, in fact, do far more than any man or any group of men can do in meeting these needs. You just wonder if Philip was good at at saying, there's no way that we can accomplish this. Now, here's what happens to us. Oftentimes what happens is instead of facing out in terms of truly trusting the Lord for him doing his work, we face in. And we do things like this. we'll, We'll want and wait and work for a quiet life for us. We'll answer great questions about God. We'll stay preoccupied with the needs of ourselves, even our own souls. And that'll be it. And here's the Lord Jesus saying, I want to stretch you, Philip, and I want you to turn and face out. I want you to learn to be able to say, in the hands of man, this cannot be done. But that's not the whole uh, order of the world in which we live. In fact, there is an all-sufficient Savior, a need-meeting Savior who is here as well. Sometimes when we face the needs that are around us, you think about reaching, um, you think about the church that you attend and reaching that neighborhood for Christ. And it is a, um, the, the needs of the people are screaming at us. I, I, I work in Spartanburg County. I'm in the southern part of Spartanburg County. And uh, it, it, is the, it is the tang in the buckle of the Bible Belt. Can I say that? I mean, we're just, uh, there is a lot of, um, let's say there are a lot of churches that are there. But my friends, I, I'll tell you that there are so many people within a mile, two miles of our church who somehow have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. I keep meeting them. How is that? How can that be? I was born and raised here in Greenville County and I've lived most of my life here in the upstate, but you still run into people completely bereft of an understanding, a clear understanding of the gospel. And we can look at those needs and it can be so overwhelming to us that we can do this. And, and, and we say, I'm not going to engage those things. Oh, I'll, I'll do the work of the church. I'll, I'll, I'll answer the great questions of God. I'll, I'll satisfy the needs within my own soul. But those gigantic, overwhelming needs around us, we can put our fingers in our ears and hum loudly so that we can't hear those needs. He wants us to face out. Hey, Philip, I want you to be good, not only at numbers, but I want you to be good at something else. I want you to look at the impossible task and how are we going to accomplish that? You see, brothers and sisters, this is not an accidental test. This is something that the Lord has selected for Philip and praise him that he would record this for all of us for the way that it exhorts us. Jesus comes to test us to push us so that we turn outward and we focus on the needs around us. 
Your Savior is far more concerned about your growth than he is your comfort. And that's kind of frightening. I like my comfort. But he's far more concerned to grow us, to be able to focus outward here as well. Are we Phillips? Can't do that? There's no way. Let's move on to something else. We can't do that. May the Lord help us when we've gotten really good at quantifying the inadequacy of our resources and resigning hope, God help us. That need can't be met. Look at Andrew in verse nine. Andrew's just a little better, not a whole lot better. There's a lad here, five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Maybe there's a little more flicker of faith that's ultimately there. Um, And what's the key? The key here is surrender, surrendering to Jesus. They placed this little bit of bread into his hands. And can you imagine, what did that look like? He blessed it, he broke it, and he's tearing. They were probably small loaves, and he's tearing them. And as he tears them, they just keep tearing (laughs) You know, or did they expand in the baskets? We don't know. But the Lord made this great provision. And my friends, God wants us to realize, yes, we're needy people, but he's a need-meeting savior. And in light of that, he wants us to turn outward and to be able to embrace the needs around us and not be consumed simply with meeting our own needs here. You maybe heard the story about... um, a dad with his son, Zach, and they were scrambling around some rocks out in the country one day. And um, uh, the dad heard Zach holler, hey, dad, catch me. And he looked up. And as he looked up, Zach was on the way down. He was not ready to catch him. And of course, he immediately threw his arms around and they fell to the ground. And when the dad caught his breath, he said, Zach, why in the world did you do that? You jumped from such a height. I was not even watching. He said, well, because you're my dad, because you're my dad, because he had complete trust in the sufficiency of his father. Samuel Rutherford would put it a little more tightly and succinctly. Rutherford wrote in the early 1600s, he said, duties are ours, events are God's. Duties are ours, events are God's. In other words, what God has called us to, what he's commanded of us, that's what we're to do. That's what we focus on. And and these other events, we commit them to the Lord. We submit them. We put them in the hands of the Lord Jesus, and he blesses them. And he meets the needs that are there. Rutherford goes on. He says, when our faith goes to meddle with events and to hold account upon God's providence and beginneth to say, how wilt thou do this or that? We lose ground. We have nothing to do here. It is our part to let the Almighty exercise his own office and to steer his own helm. There's nothing left for us but to see how we may be approved of him and how we may roll the weight of our weak souls upon him who is God omnipotent. Duties are ours, events are God. 
oh, my friends, would you be encouraged by the fact that we are a needy people, but our Savior meets needs, and he meets them in an overwhelming way. But because he does so, he wants us to be aware of the needs around us and to be facing outward and to be meeting those needs for the glory of our great God. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, how we thank you for who you are. Thank you for your great provision. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this wonderful snapshot from his life. We ask, Father, that you would jar us from being so self-oriented, so self-focused, and that we might be aware of the needs around us. Lord Jesus, you knew this situation was coming upon you and your men there. You set it up, and it was brought to bear upon their hearts that they would know from this day forth that as they submitted themselves to you and they gave their bread and their fish to you, that you would bless them and multiply them and meet the needs around them so that they might face out and say, we can meet needs. We can have an outward focus. Those things that we normally would write off and say, this is impossible. There's no use even spending any time here. But if we'll commit them to you, you, in fact, can do a great work. Would you help us to do that, especially as ministers of the gospel? Would you help us to believe? Lord, we believe. Help thou our unbelief. And help us to grow. Thank you for being more concerned about our growth than our comfort. We praise you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this production of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information, please visit gpts.edu.